How are you guys doing? It's been a minute. <clears throat> I missed you. Actually, Brian just asked me, he said, do you still know how to do this? He said, in about 10 minutes, everyone's going to know. <clears throat> Did you guys have a good summer? Yeah? Larry had a good summer. I had a fantastic time. Um, I am incredibly grateful uh, for uh, a church leadership and a church body that um, proactively cares about my own well-being. I told you before I left, I said there's a danger, um, a danger for me, and that is that over time, I, I uh, somehow conflate my own walk with Christ with my role as a pastor. And uh, some time away from that role uh, is a fantastic uh, opportunity to reconnect. Um, opportunity to reconnect with Christ and not have to think about what I'm going to say about it on Sunday, you know? Turns out, and I'm going to share a little bit of testimony this morning, but I still like him. Whenever I travel, um, I find myself often in conversations, if it's with other believers, especially people who have been in ministry, they'll say something, they'll make a comment um, something along the lines oftentimes is kind of a knowing comment about how, you know, pastors are under-supported and in isolation because of the nature of the role. And every time that that comes up, I correct it because it's not my experience here. Um, our, my leadership team, my staff, our elders, our board uh, has been uh, just so overwhelmingly, uh, not just supportive, but um, intentionally invested in my own well-being, the well-being of our pastors and our families, and I'm so thankful for that. I did a lot of fun things. We got the biggest halibut we've ever caught on the Jammy Dodger, my brother and I, that was cool. 165 pounds. I know, right? That's a big fish. I tried to lift it up for a picture. I couldn't. Actually, I have to correct that. Katie Steen caught the largest fish that's ever been caught. I almost said that wrong. She was on the boat with us. I mean, we helped, but you know. Uh, I want to share with you a really funny story. This, is not, this doesn't have anything to do with my teaching. I'm going to share with you a story that was one of the highlights of my summer, and I want to tell you in advance of sharing this story with you that some of you are going to be a little disappointed with me. Um, if you're new here, it may um, give you some questions. Uh, we do summer camps uh, here at Church on the Rock. We actually do two camps. Um, and for the last few years, uh, I get to be the director of the kids' camp, which is fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Uh, this year, I think we had close to 80 kids between our, our two camps, between the, the elementary and the junior high camps. And uh, it really is 
one of my great joys to be the camp director, which essentially means is we have a really amazing team that puts together the structure for the camp and coordinates all of that. Um, and then Alan and Linda, there you are, um, has, they've, they've helped us uh, build a site. If you haven't seen it, it's just phenomenal out there on the, on the Ingebretson homestead. And then I get to show up and have fun with the kids according to the plan, it's so great. Um, well, this year, uh, well, each, each year, the last thing we do in the evening before bedtime is we do a story time. And um, I don't, I've never done the story time at camp, I don't think. And this year uh, was the first year we didn't have a storyteller for the last night. And so uh, they said, would you be willing to tell a story? Now, the story is not, it's not like the chapel or the lesson. It's just a story, just about whatever. And so I decided I wanted to scare all of the children at camp. <laughs> and so I, uh, I just made up a story in my head about um, my childhood here in Homer, how when I was 10, which is the sort of the average age of camp goers, I wandered into the forest and I came upon a little old man, and he said, have you heard the girl who screams? And then said, when you do, run for the fireweed. Now, there was nothing, there was nothing like grotesque or explicit or weird about this story. With 10-year-olds, it's the way you tell the story. So um, I had also asked my 15-year-old, Talia, who is a gifted screamer. <laughs> when, I, when, when I get to a part of the story where I say, I'm gonna yell really loud, there is no girl who screams. I want you to count to three. She was, she was in the woods behind all the campers. <laughs> and I, I just want you, I want you to scream like you're going for an Academy Award. <laughs> and then I told my junior counselors, when she screams, I want you to run for the fireweed. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it worked better than I had planned. <laughs> and we caught it on video, so enjoy this little clip of the last 10 seconds of my story. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard the girl that screams? And I said, yes. And I said, there's no girl that screams. Now, in my defense, I preface this story by saying, some of you are going to be disappointed in me. <laughs> Actually, one of my favorite parts is Jack Ingebretson. I guess we're all going this way now. <laughs> oh, gosh. What I want... <laughs> I don't know how to transition, actually. 
what I want to do this morning is um, really share from my own, uh, just my own journey with the Lord, um, referencing the last couple of months, but also just kind of the bigger picture. Um, during my time off, uh, there was, there was uh, three questions that I was uh, considering, kind of holding out in front of me for myself, and I want to review those. But before I do, I want to ask you a question. Think back over the last month or a couple of months. Uh, what is it that you've wanted intensely? What is it that you've wanted intensely? Hi. Are you ready to order? Yeah. What's no, the no, use? not yet, not yet. Excuse me. Oh. Do you ever yearn? Yearn? Do I yearn? I yearn. You yearn? Oh, yes. Yes, I yearn. Often I, I sit and yearn. Have you yearned? Well, not recently. I craved. I crave all the time. Constant craving. But I haven't yearned. I look at you. Oh, Kramer, don't start. No, no. You're wasting your life. I am not. What you call wasting, mm -hmm. I call lip. What have you wanted intensely? What have you felt a desire for? Uh, as I look over the course of my lifetime, um, actually, um, going way back, I remember as a nine-year-old, wanting so intensely to catch a bigger fish than my younger brother, which didn't happen. I remember laying awake at night. I remember shedding tears over it. I wanted to be married to my wife. Um, maybe you've wanted for your health. Maybe you've wanted for some sort of financial advancement or career advancement. Um, I, find, uh, I find now that oftentimes what I want is uh, for, for someone else to do something differently, someone that's doing something that's affecting my life, impacting my well-being, and I find myself wanting very much for them to either stop doing it or start doing something or correct something. first question that I spent the last uh, couple of months asking myself is, do I still love God? And I don't say that in a way like, you shouldn't hear that and go, oh shoot, he's, he's, he's farther than I thought. Do I still love God? The greatest commandment, Matthew 22, is that 
you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is a commandment about the way that I think. It is a commandment about the way that I feel. It is a commandment about the things that I want. It is a commandment about the things that I will. And it is a commandment about the things that I do. And all of that is to be directed towards with more commitment, with more insistency, with more intentionality, with more passion towards God than anything else in my life. To walk in obedience to the greatest commandment is to live with the constant awareness that I fully possess the object of my greatest desire. I don't just have access to God through Christ. I have his spirit in me through Christ. And here's the flip side of this, and I'm speaking just from my own testimony. If love for God is not my highest and most constant uh, passion, I am living in sin. Now, I can say that to you with, with a very much a heart of freedom because of the degree that I am in sin and not loving God. God already knows. He's already embraced me. He's very aware of my own selfish and broken tendencies and has extended his hand to me. And so I don't say that to be sort of uh, self-defeating or deprecating. It's just the recognition that anything apart from a life directed towards God above all else is sin. There's so many things that I have learned to cling to for my own sense of, of security, my own sense of significance, my need for purpose, and my pursuit of pleasure. And yet every single one of those things, when, when pursued or possessed out of order with loving God as the primary thing, has failed me has disappointed me and has left me in some way broken. And I find deep within me this persistence in clinging to those things. You ever notice that? I know this won't satisfy me. I know the disappointment and I'm holding on to it. Again, how did I get here? How did my grip get so tight? One of the things I did during my sabbatical is uh, my 13-year-old daughter and I took a road trip. We went down, flew to Salt Lake City, and then spent some time in Wyoming visiting cousins. And then we drove the Alcan uh, back up here. But while we were in Wyoming, we went to the state fair, and we went on the super shot. Have you guys ever uh, been on a ride like this? No one? Some of you. Oh, all of you. Okay. Jeez. Um, this was not Six Flags, this is the State Fair, which means the night before a guy put this together with a crescent wrench, right? <laughs> so if you, my, my sister-in-law took this picture, if you zoom in, you can see my feet and arms like this. Uh, I was daring my 13-year-old, I, I said to her, I said, you realize that holding on affords you no additional security you're holding on to the thing that's going to kill us. <laughs> and I was daring her to ride it down with her feet and arms. Uh, go ahead and play the next little. 
and there I am clinging on for dear life as it came down. <laughs> Even though I know my history, the patterns of my life have taught me to hold on to things that don't provide security, that don't lead me into a life of significance that God intends, that don't actually help me accomplish my purpose. And in those moments, when I sense the eyes of God looking down on me, I, Aaron Weiser, I tend to become very focused on doing, very focused on uh, being uh, good at the expense of enjoying and receiving God's love for me. Uh, we're actually coming up on one year of having two new additions to our home, uh, two little kids. Um, many of you have met them. I'm, I'm intentionally being a little bit vague about that because of the nature of it, but uh, our, our three-year-old um, does not have the capacity to process explicit affection in a very funny way. So when you're very intentionally and explicitly affection, I love you so much, you're the greatest. It's like she blows a fuse and yells randomly or like just goes stiff or something. <clears throat> she enjoys it so much. She needs it so much, right? She values it so much and yet has a difficult time knowing how to receive it. And that's me and God a lot of times. So when I have a sense of him looking down upon me, in my inability just to enjoy and receive and experience his goodness and his love, I blow a circuit and then focus on like being a good person or being a good husband or being a good pastor. I want to be able to echo the psalmist from Psalms 84, better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere. I find more joy, I find more peace, I find more contentment in a few moments with the Lord than anything else in life can provide for me. Uh, let me put in a little plug here real quick. Uh, on November, uh, the first Tuesday of November, I think it is, which is November 1st, I think that's right, uh, I'm going to start a Tuesday training. It's, it's going to be, uh, I think, six weeks long. And I'm going to be unpacking some of the stuff that I'm working through just in my own relationship. Um, I'm calling it Knowing God. Uh, and so walking uh, with some of you, if you want to join me um, in what it means to walk in relationship with God, what it means to know God. <clears throat> what I have found in my own life is that the rule of religious expectations is not kind. It is not gentle. It's not compassion. And whatever that focus on goodness looks like, when it gets out of order, when I focus on being good or uh, even being loving, out of order from my own loving relationship with God, 
what seems to happen is that it makes us either angry and judgmental towards others or self-loathing. There are so many ways to serve our own uh, set of religious or spiritual expectations without loving God as the primary thing. And one of the symptoms of that is that we become less kind, less gentle, and less compassionate over time. An additional side effect for me when I'm not loving God as the primary thing in my life is that my capacity to uh, love like God loves, to love the people around me, um, is more episodic. It's more based on my energy and mood at the time. And this leads me to the second question. Am I increasing in my capacity to love others? God has specifically through his word, as, as far as I can tell, uh, identified four specific groups that I'm called to love. I'm called to love my family, both my biological family and my spiritual family. I'm called to love those that are far from God, those who don't know him. I'm called to love the helpless, those who can offer me nothing in return, those who uh, have needs that they cannot meet on their own. And I'm called to love my enemies. Even if I don't use the word enemy, I'm called to love the people that are challenging. And so I ask myself the question, am I increasing in my capacity to love others? Am I becoming a better husband? Am I becoming a better dad? Am I growing in my affection and commitment to you, my church family? Am I increasing in my outreach to the helpless and the hopeless? Am I growing in my capacity to graciously engage those who are far from God? Am I able to show greater grace and humility towards those that I don't naturally get along with? I have been in regular ministry for over 25 years. And I'll tell you something that half of this room already knows. Time does not make you more kind, more gentle, or more compassionate. Time alone can do quite the opposite. Time and experience can make me more critical, less flexible, more self-righteous. Time teaches me that engaging with people comes at a steep price, a price that at times seems to take on the shape of a cross. Here's what I'm even more convinced of. The love of God is truly supernatural. And we only learn it through supernatural means. The love of God is truly supernatural. And we only are able to receive it and express it through supernatural means. First John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. <clears throat> what I've been learning in my own walk with the Lord is that this is not just a chronological reality, it's an experiential reality. It's not just on a timeline, he loved before we loved.
We, we, we are not capable of loving until we have known his love for us, experienced his love for us. The love that flows from us is the love that flows through us. And for this reason, you cannot ultimately and effectively fix your lack of love by working on it. If you are struggling with the second part of the great commandment, love others as yourself, it is always and only because you are failing the first one. It's the love of God. It's, it's knowing, receiving, and growing in the love of God that makes the second part of the commandment even remotely viable. When I'm in an argument with my wife, hypothetically, <laughs> and I'm angry because I don't feel her love for me, I don't feel my love for her in that moment, if I'm being perfectly honest, I have to also admit that in that moment, I've lost sense, lost my, my capacity to experience and know the incredible, overwhelming, amazing gift of God's love as the primary thing. If you're unhappy with the quality of your love for others, dive into the love of God. Again, what I have found as a pastor is that most Christians excel at loving one of those four groups. And to the degree that we do a good job of loving one of those four groups, we justify our sort of pathetic effort to love one of the other groups. Some of you here so much love to spare for the lost and you literally can't stand other believers it's hard for you to be sitting here this morning and some of you care so much about the health and well-being of the church and have no commitment no affection no concern for the helpless the destitute that is the nature of love in the flesh. We need only to grow in God's love. I've been enrolled in a program down in Chicago for the last about a year and a half that's involved a number of trips. I won't get into detail, but it has been really valuable for my own walk with the Lord. Um, I've gotten a lot of really great just input into my own life and my own growth in Christ. I was at a retreat um, this summer, and uh, Nancy Kane, who's one of the leaders of the, of the program, uh, asked us to, to take our notepad and write down, um, what is one thing that you want to say to God? And so I wrote in my notepad, I, I want to taste more, and I want to see more that you are good. And then she said, now ask the Lord if he would share with you a response to what you, you've said. And I really felt like the Lord, actually right away, I felt like the Lord said, so taste more and see more. I'm not withholding myself from you. Come after me. 
Have you ever been to Golden Corral? A little slice of heaven there on C Street in Anchorage. The first time I took my kids there, I explained to them at the time, there's, there's like, a, like a half a mile of food. And so when you start on one end, make sure you survey the landscape before you make your commitments, right? You gotta shop around a little bit. And if you know Golden Corral, way over on the left is the beginning of the salad bar with the condiments. And one of my kids came back to the table with a plate of sunflower seeds. <laughs> which is the very first item, the very far left-hand side of the buffet. my own walk with Christ, and it's true for you. We can settle for so little. See, it's fine. I love bird seeds. <laughs> and God says, taste and see. There's so much more. In answer to the second question, yes. I am growing in my capacity to love others. I say that with a tremendous amount of humility, recognizing that it's the supernatural work of God that is happening as I grow more in the love of God. It's something that He is producing in me. And then one final question, which is really just the final piece of the equation. If I have love for God and I have love for people, then I have a passion to bring the two parties together. And this is the mission of disciple-making. It's just simply a commitment, acting out of a commitment that God and others would know each other better. That's the whole thing. If I love God and I love others, then I will be supernaturally energized in God's mission to bring others into a relationship with Him. My third question was, am I still committed to the mission of disciple-making? If I'm going to be your pastor... I must feel the move of God, the heart of God, the enabling of God towards the mission of disciple-making. Jesus, as he's ascending, his final words to his faithful followers, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Go, make disciples. Take the good news everywhere. Paul actually says in Colossians 1.24, he says, my ministry is simply the ministry of making up for what the sufferings of Christ did not provide on the cross. God made everything available, and Paul's ministry is to take what God had made available on the cross known to those who haven't heard. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Disciple-making is an individual mandate supported by a collective effort, the outcome of which is that the body of Christ, the church, takes on a grandeur fit for the King of Kings. Disciple-making is a mission motivated by love. Plenty of people right now are obsessed with fixing the world's problems. The church's problems. Your problems. 
This disposition is as trendy as it's ever been, and the explanations and the defenses are very sophisticated. But where are those who, like Paul, are rejoicing in the opportunity to suffer for the sake of leading people to Jesus so that they would know him more, so that they would be able to walk with him, follow him. I personally am learning to trust him more, to rely on myself less, and it has been more freeing and hopeful I cannot sustain a ministry out of duty and obligation. I need to be fueled by the unending joy, the perfect peace, and the constant provision of the one who holds my life in his hand. And if you're going to walk in the will of God, you must say yes to the mission of disciple-making. And if you're stuck in that, if you don't know where to go forward, I'll tell you where to go forward. Look into the love of God. The subconscious reality of those who are uninvested in the mission of disciple-making is that my experience of the love of God is not so amazing that I would compel someone else to find it. If you are ready to go, ready to hit the gas pedal in disciple-making, this Tuesday and next Tuesday, I'm teaching Intentional, which is one of our core courses here at Church on the Rock. And all I'm going to do there with you is, is define, it's going to lay out what this is, what does it mean, what does it look like. Uh, sign up, come join us uh, on Tuesday. Love God. Love people. Make disciples. Um, I'm going to do something together. Uh, we have communion and we have our, our covenant forms. I'm going to ask my leaders, uh, staff, elders, anyone, and anyone else who likes to stand up and move around, if you would help us pass out the communion uh, cups and then also the covenant forms, uh, let's get those out to everyone. Can I get one of those communion cups up here? Maybe Jeremy. 
If you don't have communion yet, raise your hand. You still need, oh, we still need a few more over here. Thank you. Can you head over that way? So we at Church in the Rock, uh, over the years, we've not done traditional membership. Uh, we've done covenant uh, membership, which is essentially just you making a commitment for the coming year. I want to ask you a couple questions as we wrap up this time. Do you think that I, Aaron Weiser, can fulfill my role at Church on the Rock if I am not on board with those three things, loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Do you think I can? I cannot. And your alignment is no less critical to the health of our body. Your role that God has called you to play as a member of his body here at Church on the Rock is no less important. And we as a church cannot be all that God has called us to be until every member, together, arm in arm, is running hard after him. So my invitation to you is what intentional decisions, what carefully thought out steps are you going to take this coming year to grow in your love for God, to grow in your capacity to love others, and to grow in your commitment to the mission of disciple-making. We at Church on the Rock can offer you opportunities for growth, but we do not own your growth. We do not subcontract your growth. You are responsible for God looking towards the eternal reward to get after it. It's worth it. Jesus, before he left, gave us this very tangible reminder, both of his love for us and the sacrifice of his body, but also in the unity of the church, the bride of Christ. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, every time you do this, do so in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you, life eternal. Every time you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Uh, I'm going to invite uh, Carrie, if you could come up. Uh, Carrie is, is one of our elders here at Church on the Rock. 
Um, I'm going to have Carrie. Oh, let me let me just say real quick the, the the covenant that we just distributed. You can take that. You can take it home. You can look it over. Um, some of you, this was new. Some of you, it's not. Come on up here. Um, but what I want you to do is you can you can if you want to sign and commit yourself to joining with us for the coming year. Here, take this one here. Um, then do so. You can bring it by the office. Um, you can drop it off that way, or you can drop it off this morning at the info table on your way out the door. Um, but what I'm asking you to do is make some very careful, thoughtful, intentional decisions about the commitments that you're making for the coming year, for your own growth, for the growth of your family, and for the ministry that God's called us to together. Would you guys stand? I'm going to have Carrie uh, just say a prayer of dedication over our church for the coming year. Heavenly Father, I stand here in awe. So short of really touching the goal as Aaron's just spoke about this morning. But as one of your leaders has been asked to be here as a role of an elder, I don't take it lightly. Forgive me if there's been any image from me that doesn't line up to the three questions this morning. Help us, Lord, each one of us in this body. And I'm just one member. Help us all to stay focused on you. And may you guide each one of us in a closer, tighter relationship as that number one command to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Help us all, Lord, as this church body grows because it's what you enjoy. You see us at work. You see the pastors, the shepherd over the flock. You see each one of our actions and help us all yes, never to lose focus on the first command. Thank you, Father. Bless each one in a special way. And may we all bring glory to you because we put you first. In the name of Christ, our Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Holy Spirit, for directing us and being and dwelling in us. Yes. In the name of Jesus, amen.